0: Good to be with you in this Advent season. You know, Shreese and I were talking the other day about the, uh, the memorial picnics that we used to have for years and years at, at our church in New England. And I mean, this, this was an extravaganza. It was just this enormous tradition, uh, carnival-like atmosphere, all kinds of games and, and prizes and food, and, and there was always a big team competition. One year, there was log rolling. They dug this big pit out in the field and filled it with water. And and, uh, there were always relays of some kind. But the one that we were talking about was this one year, they created a fireman's muster. This was a relay, which they they had these four. It looked like a child's playhouse. I was always hopeful that they hadn't stolen them from somewhere (laughs) in the neighborhood. And they set them all on fire. There are are four of them, you know, and they're like 30, 40 yards across the field and they're in flames. (laughs) That would never happen here in Colorado. You know, New England, plenty of rain, lots of green. And so, you know, these things are, are burning across the field and there are four teams of, I think it was about four people on each team. Each team has a full fireman's uniform complete with hat, Uh, There is a large 40- or 50-gallon barrel of water there for each team. And then each team has a bucket with holes in it. (laughs) You're getting the picture. And so the relay was that every team member had to put on the fireman's outfit, complete with hat, fill their leaky bucket with water, run the 30 yards across the field to douse the fire. Each person on the team had to do that in relay fashion. First team to put out the fire won. I think each one of those houses burned down. (laughs) There was no team that put out the fire. Did I mention that the bucket had holes in it? Oh my gosh, it was just ridiculous, but hilarious to watch as well. But thinking about that, (laughs) crazy as it sounds, reminded me of today's theme, the traditional Advent theme of, of hope. There was very little hope that any of those teams was going to put the fire out, try as hard as they might. The uh, the bucket had lots of holes. You know, and, and hope, hope is all about having a feeling or a certainty that something desired can be obtained or that events will turn out for the best there's a definition of hope there are several but this one i thought was was very good it is to to want something to happen or be true and to think that it really could happen or be true to to cherish a desire with anticipation to to desire with expectation of obtainment, to expect with confidence. Hope, as we all know, is a very powerful thing. We sometimes jest about someone and say, oh, he or she is just hopeless. We typically mean something besides without hope. Uh, that's usually more a statement about their abilities or lack of. But to be hopeless is an awful thing. Because hope is is tied to our thinking and our perspective on things in the future. Something that happens a minute from now, ten minutes from now, a year from now, ten years from now. Or hope related to Eternity, things that are important to us, elicit these f- reasons and feelings for hope. Vic and Kathy can relate to this. This little tiny girl that has been born into our family has had an enormous impact for someone so small. <laughs> you hold this beautiful little bundle. And and what I find is that there are just all kinds of, of things related to, to hope that just well up within me. I think of her in terms of, of her life and her health. I think of her relationships. I think of her father when she becomes a teenager. <laughs> and how I'm glad that it's his responsibility. You know, her, her heart and her longing for God. I... I have, I have hopes. You know, this, this tiny little thing already has me wrapped around her finger and she doesn't even know it. She's only been in the world a few days, you know. Hope for her on many levels, in many ways related to her life. But what is it that sustains my hope? And really, what is that hope about? What is it that sustains Anyone's hope. Harvard psychologist and researcher Daniel Gilbert says that the human being is the only animal that thinks about the future. We think about the future in a way that no other animal can, does, or ever has. I guess he's asked them all and so he knows that. He calls it the defining feature of our humanity. The average adult spends 12% of the day thinking about the future, roughly one of every eight hours. And one's thinking, we know, can be hope-filled or it can be hopeless, lacking in hope. Two people can be in the exact same experience and they can be facing the exact same circumstances One will be hopeful and the other less or not hopeful at all. What what makes the difference? What makes someone hopeful? And it it seems to me that it comes down really to, to the object or the source of one's hope. Questions about reliability. Questions about reasonableness. In other words, can I put it this way? Does the bucket leak? Because if the bucket leaks, then it's really not worth putting your hope in that bucket. If you've tried to put the fire out many times with a leaky bucket, you will not have much hope, or any hope at all in that bucket. And likely, we'll go looking for something else to put our hope in. Couldn't help this week, thinking of the people in San Bernardino, Savannah, Colorado Springs, Sacramento, finding finding hope this week after... Gunmen senselessly kill people in their communities. What is their source of hope for those who have lost family and and friends? Law enforcement? Increased security efforts? Hope that the killers will be found and brought to justice? Life insurance policies that Provide some reparation. As important as those things are, and I believe they are, they're leaky buckets. And the simple point of the sermon this morning, my friends, is that we as God's people, I think need to be very, very clear in our understanding and our articulation of hope in the advent season really like any of the themes they need precision they need clarity in terms of definition in terms of what we give ourselves to how we understand it how we give ourselves to it and how we live that out before those who watch our lives before those who who may know that we are people of god And so in this Advent season, we're talking about a very specific hope. We're talking about a a certain hope, a sure hope, the source of which is God. Biblical hope is always rooted in God's unchanging character. Biblical hope is always rooted in the perfect nature of our God. In other words, the bucket never leaks. The bucket won't leak. The bucket can't leak. Because it is grounded in the character of our God. It is, I think, the only true and lasting hope. All other sources of hope are are temporal. Some are surely false. And all of them will leak. It's only a matter of time. So this morning we're going to read a portion of the Christmas story. uh, Matthew's account of Jesus... Birth, and I want you to listen closely as we stand and read together again, you know my fear of the familiar, you know how familiar is the Christmas story you know for many of us, we know it very well, but in the midst of that familiar, it is always my prayer that the spirit breaks in and teaches us something new and fresh and challenging, and so my encouragement to you this morning as we read these familiar words is to, to listen with fresh ears and listen closely for the statement of hope that is in this particular text. Now, the word doesn't appear. We won't read that. But I think that the story is all about hope. Okay? So, you ready to stand? Let's stand together. Let's read. Listen carefully for hope. Here we go. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Be seated. Okay. Familiar. Did you hear the hopeful statement in that text? Did it jump out at you? What'd you hear? Oh, Sharon, a student. Save his people from their sins. All right. Let's talk about that for a minute with a neighbor. Just a couple minutes. It's a. It's one of those duh statements. But I also think it falls into the category of, oh, maybe we should hear this again. Because it is a duh statement. We know this. All right? Why is this such a wonderful statement of hope? Talk to your neighbor about that. All right, the volume is kind of settling down here. All right, what do you think? Why is it such a wonderful statement of hope? That's my bias, of course. Wow. Would you like to preach the rest of this sermon? Yeah. Gives us hope that even though we are by nature sinful, separated from God as our Father, we can be reunited. Hmm. Yeah. What else? good observation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Anyone else want to add to that? Yes. Yeah. It's going to happen. Good. Which I think lends itself to helping us maybe get inside of Joseph's mind, inside his skin a little bit to realize potentially how painful this was. It's really easy to, to read over a story like this and just kind of you know, lickety split, jump to the end, and happy ending, and and we forget about all the the dynamics and the stuff that's going on in the text that that makes it so real and and so I think uh, powerful in terms of maybe how we can relate. Seems like either is pretty good company. God with us, absolutely. It it is. It's a it's a wonderful statement of hope because simply put and this, this can be very unpopular depending on which circles you travel in, sin is the problem. It really is. You know, if, if you take nothing home from this sermon other than that statement, just take it with you. Sin is the problem. Behind all of the things in this world that cause hurt and pain, it's there because sin exists in the human heart. Sin is a condition of the human heart, and unless it is taken care of, there can be really no true lasting hope <laughs> i I wonder about joseph sometimes do you do you think that do you think that he woke up from the dream and and just had to take a while to process what that was about? You know, again, we just kind of willy-nilly read over it. Oh, had a dream. This was a dream. Man, pregnant by the Holy Spirit? What did Joseph know about the Holy Spirit? What what is that? Who is that? You know, we have our well-developed doctrines of the Holy Spirit. Joseph did not have a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I yeah, exactly. And I, and I guess too, he will save his people from their sins. I find myself wondering if, if Joseph may and I and I mean no disrespect to the person of Joseph, but I happen to think he's as human as you and I. Is it possible that he heard that statement and thought, "Save his people from their sins? Come on, most of the people I know are are good, God-fearing folks. And even if they're not, they live good lives. What they need saving from is those stinking Romans. They constantly oppress us with their taxes and their offensive religious festivals. And their immoral lifestyles and their wretched pantheon of ridiculous, obscene gods. That's what we need to be saved from. Saved from our sins? Is that a problem? Answer is yeah. Yeah it is. It's a big problem. It is it is the problem. You see, the simple translation of that word sin means to miss the mark. And that in and of itself sounds pretty innocuous because it it sounds like well, you know, we just need to adjust our sights so that we can try again and hit the mark. Which is what the Jews had been doing for centuries through their efforts to keep the law. But the etymology of the earliest use of that word, the origins of that word, it it goes deeper than that. It's getting at the idea of something that, that is a principal source of action from within a person, something that is a governing power that controls what a person does, that's That's really what the origin of that word is driving at. When we talk about sin, we're not talking about actions. Actions are a result of a deeper, controlling, governing power that has taken the human heart captive. The Apostle Paul refers to it as bondage or slavery to the sin nature and it's not simply that, that again that the sin nature causes us to do particular things it does that that flows out of it but the idea of the sin nature within us is that power that pushes us pushes everyone to live as if God does not matter that he is not important The sin nature convinces us that we are not created by God even if He exists. We're not created for Him and therefore we can live any way that we please. He will save His people from that sin. If we believe all that the scripture teaches us about this, that we are eternal beings, that we indeed are created by God and that we are created for God and that our lives go way beyond the life in this body, that we are going to live long after this body ceases to live, that that part of us, the soul, that, that part of us that's really us And yet, if we believe that sin has broken that relationship for which we were created, making eternity with God impossible, then then what the angel announced to Joseph is indeed the best news imaginable. And it is the only source of hope. Does it really matter if this life bears all kinds of hope-filled promises and opportunities, and yet offers us nothing, promises us nothing for eternity? Only matters if if God doesn't exist. And if human beings are just products of chance, soulless creatures who cease to exist after they have breathed their last, well then, who cares? But as the people of God, Do we not believe that there is more to life than this one? Do we not believe that we were created to live with God for eternity? With a God who loves us. And we have great hope because God has made that possible through his son. That is the hope that was announced to Joseph. Whether he recognized its significance or not, we do. We can. That is the hope of God's people through the ages. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from the stinking Romans, from lower taxes, because he will cleanse the land of pagan gods, he'll improve the educational system, he will give them a trouble free life. None of those things. God zeroed in on the problem and the most important issue that faces any human on planet earth. He will save his people from their sins. Whoa! So as we prepare to come to the table of our Lord this morning, I want to close with just a a few quick observations from Romans chapter 5. Don, can we put that text up? Can we read this together? You don't have to stand, just sit where you are. Let's read this, and then I want to just make some observations that that hopefully will, will stick in our heads and give us thought as we come together to the Lord's table this morning. Let's read. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is Paul's understanding of Advent hope. I think this is the the clarity that we need as the people of God when we talk about and celebrate and rejoice in hope during the Advent season. And I think if we would give ourselves to to meditating on this text from time to time, maybe even on a daily basis throughout this season, I think it's something that will remind us again and again of the hope that we have in the baby who was born for our salvation. Four things, very quickly, that Paul speaks to. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ for us and his work of atonement on the cross, we receive, by God's gracious gift, we receive peace with God. We are restored to that relationship for which we were created. Brokenness has been mended. His death and his resurrection change everything. It is a good thing, my friends, to have peace with God. Peace with God. And Paul says that that as a result of that restored relationship, there is hope that then comes into our life that is worth boasting about. Don't you love that? We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Paul is using that word boast to be a a word of, we talk about it, we tell about it, we promote it, we put it out there. We boast because it's rooted in the glory of God. It is a bucket that doesn't leak because the nature of God is unchanging and perfect and faithful. It is not a temporary false hope. It is a sure hope because it is grounded in the glory, the nature, the character of God. Third thing Paul says there is that our faith in God does not rescue us from all the pain and suffering that's a part of this world. We need to be clear on that. To suggest that, that hope in God rescues us from the hard stuff of life means that we better start apologizing to a lot of folks for whom that is not true. It doesn't rescue us from the hard stuff of life, but it sustains us and it shapes us and it develops character and it confirms for us the unchanging, faithful nature of God's hope. The hope that we have through Christ. And finally, the fourth one, I love this. And the hope that we have in God will not Disappoint us. Some translations say put us to shame. That's the idea there. We're not going to end up feeling stupid or dumb because we put our hope in this thing that didn't turn out. Paul says, no, it won't disappoint. It won't put you to shame. Why? Because God pours his love. Isn't that just a vivid picture? You know, open the top and pour it in. God pours his love into our hearts with his very presence, the Spirit who indwells his people. It is the Spirit of God who lives in us that reminds us of who we are, reminds us of what Christ has done, reminds us of who we belong to, reminds us of who God is, reminds us to keep on keeping on. We can have hope in something that is sure and certain and unchanging. Brothers and sisters, that is Advent hope. That is biblical hope. And it's it's that hope that we celebrate when we come to the table of our Lord this morning. Gospel tells us that that Jesus was sharing that last meal before his his crucifixion with the his followers, and he, he took the bread. And he broke it. And he said something that they had never heard before. He said, this, this is my body given for you. Do this often. Remember me when you do it. The perfect Lamb of God, John said, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the Lamb of God, And after the meal, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. As often as you celebrate this together, remember me. That's what communion is all about. It is remembering Jesus. It is remembering the marvel of God's love. God who loves Sinful, broken people enough to take upon himself the penalty for their sin so that they can be restored to the relationship for which they were created. I hope that is true for you today. If it is not, if you're here this morning and, and you're not sure that that's true for you, You've never had that moment in time where you've thought, whoa, this, this is what I need. I need Jesus. I need someone to save me from my sins. I hope you won't leave today without talking to me, talking to someone about how you can know that and make that truth a part of your life as well.